Hear all of our previously aired broadcasts of News for the Soul online at newsforthesoul.com. Now let's get back to the show. Next up, Indigenous Peoples Perspectives with Diane Hill. Let's bring Diane on to reintroduce herself, her show, and what's up for today. Welcome back, Diane. Thanks, Nicole. Glad to be back. Good afternoon, everyone. Today I'm going to be speaking with uh, a guest by the name of Mary Ellen Warren. Mary Ellen is a non-Native person, and she is a board member of the Sarnia Lambton Native Friendship Center. I've been doing some work with Sarnia Lambton Friendship Center for a past couple of years, and I got to meet Mary Ellen um, as part of her role as a board member there. And today I asked her if she would be willing to come on air and talk to me about what it's like to be an ally to Native people when you yourself are not a Native person. So I'm going to ask Mary Ellen now to join me. Mary Ellen, are you there? I am, Diane. Hi, Mary Ellen. Mary Ellen, if we, let's start today by, maybe we'll start off by giving a little bit of a background to the listeners, um, like a little bit about who you are, where you were born, and that, that kind of thing, and what, what sort of brought you to um, the Friendship Center and working with Native people when you yourself are not a Native person. I'm just, we're curious about that, Mary Ellen. Yeah, Sure. Um, I was born in Sarnia, Ontario, and there's three First Nation communities all around Sarnia. So I went to school. I had friends um, that were na- I still have friends that are, that are Native. Um, so it's always been a part of my life. Um, but more recently, um, I was working in the courthouse. I went to work in the courthouse after a career working with at-risk youth. And uh, the people that surrounded me at the courthouse and taught me, because it was, uh, court is kind of an alien creature in and of itself. (laughs) And uh, the people that surrounded, that helped me the most, that approached me, were kind, and um, sort of took me under their wing, were... were native people it was the indigenous lawyers it was the native court worker it was the basically all the indigenous people that were working at the courthouse were the ones that were kind to me and um and if i had a client that needed support they didn't care what color they were um they were the ones that would yeah sure bring them over i can do something and so I got interested in the just in being a part of the group because they were they, I was befriended and um but one of the really sad things I encountered was you know I thought Canada was pretty good when it came to racism and because uh, I had previously worked in the states in the African American communities and the racism oh, okay. was so blatant, but I went to court and I saw it's just the same for Native people in the courthouse, in society, how institutions treated people, and it just kind of outraged me that one 
segment of our humanity was being treated this way. So I thought um, you know, uh, the Senator Marie Sinclair has always been a hero of mine. And when he started the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, he said it is all of our responsibilities to take action. And so I took that okay. to heart. Mm-hmm. And so you you were you're retired now, Mary Mary Ellen. You you were a yes. social worker, I think, in the capacity that took you to court, and yes. with with youth who were in your program. And and yes. so, how long have you been retired from that um, work? And 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 did you uh, have native youth? Oh yeah, there yeah. In all the work I've done, there were native youth and adults. Um, I w- retired three years ago. Um, so it's, but I immediately, I had started hanging out at the Sarnia Friendship Center because a friend of mine was the executive director there. And I would just go, you know, if I'm booting around town, seeing different clients and stuff, and sometimes I would just need uh, a buddy. So I would stop Mm -hmm. in there and the center was just so peaceful and calm. So I found myself at the center, and then when it was going through some tough times, I was asked to um, come in and see if I could lend a helping hand, only because I had some of the training um, that people thought might be helpful. Um, but I, I have to, I encourage people to be allies. It's going to take all of us. So um, I feel very honored and blessed to be a part of the community I feel more myself Um, Uh just the the kindness uh, and the and the love and the acceptance and uh, I I stay now for me it's not that I'm I can't it's for me that I stay now and then I lend whatever helping hand I can to the organizations, to people, you know, even if it's photocopying or picking up rocks, I don't care. <laughs> it's just responsibility <laughs> and <Yeah>. action. <laughs> so, so you've made some good friends, and you've wanted to return some of that kindness by the sounds of it. Plus, there was a place that you felt like you could belong and have good relationships, it sounds like, Mary Ellen. So you, yeah. that's kind of what I got out of when you say I'm staying for me now. I, I might have started off wanting to, to help maybe correct some of the prejudices and injustices. Is is that right? Yeah. And then very sort of it morphed into, yeah, into a friendship. That's, that's wonderful. So you've been on the board for seven years, I think, uh, I heard you say one time. Has is, is it been yeah. seven years since you've been involved with? Uh, and what is the Friendship Center um, servicing from your perspective um, for the audience, the, the listeners who might not know what a Native Friendship Center is? How would you describe it in your work there, Mary Ellen? Um, it's a place of friendship, really. Like, it's so very aptly named. And I know... You know, sometimes as a woman, I want to be with just women if I'm talking about something. Or I'm a sexual abuse survivor, so sometimes I only want to talk about different experiences. Um, So I look at it as everybody needs a place where they feel home. And there, there is, people are, 
Native people are treated differently by the general non-Native community. And, and I want everyone on the planet to have a safe place to go and to feel comfort and to be able to laugh with their whole hearts instead of, oh, is someone going to make something up about me if I say this or do that? It's just a place of comfort and safety. And, and, uh, and there's a, so for that, it's for Native people to be able to come and they don't have to face any, you know, questions about why this, why that. They can just come and be themselves. And... Um, Oh, I forgot the next thing I was going to say. <laughs> it's okay. I'm older too. <laughs> and the, the 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 urban the urban part of friendship centers, Mary yeah. Ellen. So so what I hear you saying is that in the urban setting, there's a facility, there's a building that Native people can come and and take some refuge, some and have a place to be themselves and hang out. And not be have to worry about being judged. Um, so I'm assuming some of the programming there also offers those native people um, a chance to maybe have a meal. Um, and and yeah. are they learning any crafts? Are they doing any language study? Like, is it is it yeah. just for native people? That kind of thing. From your yeah. experience. Yeah, it's um, yeah, about the ceremonies. Well. Just even in my home community of Sarnia, Amjanong is the closest First Nation. It's actually part of the city of Sarnia, and there's 2,000 members, but there's only housing on the First Nation for 800 people because when the reservations were being made, they didn't make them big enough, right? And Uh uh, so most of Amjanong people live in the city, so... To it's like people who go to church. You don't want to lose your ceremonies at church. You're singing um, the words to songs that touched your heart when you were a kid. You, like you don't want to be moved away from that. Well, the friendship center is where that is for urban indigenous people. So, so you also have a a housing program then. When you brought up the issue of there's. 2,000 members on the Amjanong First Nation that that's with built and situated within the city of Sarnia. So, but most of the members of that of that 800 are in need of housing. So, does the Friendship yep. Center provide housing programs? Yes, we've had um, for many many years now. We've had six transitional housings on the top floor of our Friendship Center. But we've currently partnered with Ontario Housing and uh, Aboriginal Ontario Housing and an architect, and we're building an apartment building that will be geared to income for Native people in the Sarnia area. And that is so totally exciting because we work with people to try to find housing. And um, sometimes if you look Native and you go to the door, the landlord doesn't even want to interview you or if they find out afterwards you're native say they didn't pick it up the first time then they're finding a way to to evict you refuse Um, yeah yeah. evict or refuse eh to rent yeah 
and it's not and it's not based on any behavior it's based on what they think people are going to be like not on reality yes yeah absolutely yeah and, and so and so that kind of prejudice like based on your looks and and then being being like they'll find a, a, a convenient excuse for oh um, you know, it's already been rented or, oh, this person paid their deposit before you. Like there's excuses and things mm-hmm. that come up that, that actually put obstacles in, in the ways of Native people to find housing or even general services, right, is, is yeah. my understanding that's happening at the urban level. And then, but and doesn't it also, go ahead. Oh, I no, I was just going to say there's, there's a shortage of housing for everyone on top of, you know, if you're native, there's even a bigger shortage of housing. Okay, yeah. Yeah, in ge- yeah, if that's true in speaking in general. Because Sarnia is, uh, what would you call it? It's an industrial town? What, what's the term for Yeah, I there's think a lot so. of gas companies, oil companies around there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And with pipelines, there's like over 300 pipelines going under the river right in Sarnia. Um you know, laying on the bottom of the river, and we have the Lakers going up and down. And so you're always worried that they're going to ground and hit one of those pipelines and then pump all that oil and gas and and then the products to make oil and gas into Lake Huron and into the St. Clair River. Yeah, that's that's right. And I remember the Sarnia band, um, you know, talking about, uh, I think there was a documentary that I, that was put out. I'm not quite sure what year, but they called it a chemical valley, I think. Yeah. And there was a documentary by Amgenon that said, this is what it's like living in the chemical valley of, of Sarnia, Ontario. And a yeah. lot of people didn't know that. Like a lot of people didn't know what you just said, that all the, oh, there's pipe underground pipelines going under the river there and, mm-hmm. and feeding into those factories. Right. And, and, and then some, um, plus the tankers moving up through the river. I mean, it's 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 quite the situation. And you see the fire coming out of the um, towers, right? The smoke towers. And the, so so this is what the Amjadong First Nations said was the cause of a lot of their illnesses too, as I remember. Um, yeah, and like the cancer. Well, and uh, um, there's an uh, unusual. Um, level of female babies born as opposed to equal balance with male babies and that has been directly attributed by scientists to the chemicals coming out of chemical valley and two-headed puppies all the they just there was just a study this week that came out that you know a government study um saying that the benzene levels on amgenong and in south sarnia So it's not just affecting, like everyone needs to be alarmed and do something about this. Benzene causes cancer like that, no tomorrow. And the levels are too high uh, everywhere on Amgenong and everywhere in South Sarnia. Yeah, so it's a bigger issue than just Native people. It's affecting the the whole population, native or non, in that in the Sarnia area. Yeah, that that's amazing. So you being an ally to the Friendship Center 
and, and being born in Sarnia and being raised in Sarnia, do you feel like your voice has, um, do you feel like your voice carries and supports like those issues, not just native people's causes, but general causes like this, this chemical Valley situation in Sarnia, do you feel like the friendship center, you, you sitting on that board and being an ally to native people is a plus or a minus? Uh, it's a plus for me personally, but also I've learned a lot. I learned to shut up for one thing because, you know, I started off thinking I knew everything there was to know, <laughs> like a lot of people, and um, and listen. And, um, oh, for heaven's sakes, now I forget where it's going to go again. The, the Being oh, able to... Have yeah, a plus, and, like a, your voice as a non-native person on a, on a board. Well, and I've, I I talk to everyone I can about what I've I've learned, and I've had friends of mine that I've known since I was five years old. I've had friends that, oh, we didn't know we didn't know, so they've gone out and they bought. Um, the first book I suggested was the Thirty One Things You Didn't Know About the Indian Act. And so just for the truth piece of it, because they need to, non-Native people need to get the genocide. They need to get the residential school. Everyone accepts the Holocaust for the Jewish people. A lot of people do not accept residential schools were as horrible. And people, non-Native people need to understand it was seven generations, seven that's mm-hmm. like like beyond what we who we know as our ancestors that many generations have had that kind of hatred and genocide put on them so it's going to take some time to heal and non-native people can support it by understanding by helping to change laws, by being outraged by things that are unfair and discriminatory, um, and by learning, basically. So my friends could not believe what they read in that small little book. And then they've gone. I also encourage people to read. There's so many great Canadian Indigenous authors, Richard Wagamese, Sherry Dimeline, like there's so many and Mm -hmm. the miracle and to read and read these novels and you put yourself in the protagonist's shoes and you start to feel and to understand um, what people have gone through and then you can be maybe um, more understanding and more supportive and ultimately I hope it leads to action for people even if it's like you can't I have a lot of white, I, white family, white friends, and I hear things that are disgusting, and I don't. Mm-hmm. I I speak up now, and um, oh. in a gentle way, but I speak up, and mm-hmm. and so things have shifted in my group because of that, in a positive right. way. Right. So. So being non-native, speaking to non-native people and educating them on native issues, you're finding that your voice is maybe heard better than if a native person was trying to make that same point. I think it depends on who the listener is, 
really? Because myself, Uh I'd rather hear a native person. (laughs) So it might be where you are in your understanding, too. But for sure, we need non-native people speaking up and saying it so it becomes just generally acceptable um, to make the changes we need to make. Well, look at even the fire, all the fires this year, and there were all the talk about if we went back when Indigenous people had all these forests, there weren't the forest fires as they are now because they had a system of managing it. And now I hear talk about we got to go back to the Indigenous way of managing our forests. So people are starting to understand that those people who are lived on the land know the land intimately, have relationship with the land, have knowledge that is not does not come out of a book. And that knowledge can be used to help all of us thrive in this world. Absolutely. I I would agree, but then again, I'm Native, so I'm biased towards Native <laughs> knowledge. <laughs> right, so I'm so curious about your, from your perspective as a, as a non-Native person. And, 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 you know, Mary Ellen, I think there's times when, when, um, the natives can maybe be hard on you, right? Sometimes a non-native person, I think there's times when you might find, I don't know if the proper terminology is reverse a reverse form of racism, but I, mm-hmm. I think there's probably people like who are non-native who are asking you, are you crazy? Like, why are you hanging out with these native people? Do you, mm-hmm. do you Have you run up against that? Yeah, and in fact, I was asked um, by one well-meaning person, well-intentioned, you're kidding me, you're driving into a reserve at night and you don't know which house you're going to yet and you're going to go into a (laughs) reservation at night as a white person alone? And I'm like, I'm more afraid of Toronto. (laughs) 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 Sorry, Torontonians. (laughs) (laughs) No, like there's this fear that I don't know what, but I think it's fear of the unknown. So, you know, if people can just read, read books, get to know, you know, don't assume all the judgments you've been told are right because they're not. <laughs> yeah. And uh, just form relationships, you know, it's just, that's what I find. It's like, we're just all people. We're all human beings. <laughs> We should be able to love each other. Yeah, and I agree. I think there's a lot that's that's unknown um, because even even until the residential school um, scenario came to light, um, there was like there was a lot of people in denial. Yet Native people have been saying that there was, you know, like if we just look at residential school as an issue, there were lots mm-hmm. of Native people. Who would who would deny that? Like Native people are saying for years, like that that you know our children were being abused there, our children were being starved there. There were lots of children who never came home. There were you know um, lots of things that Native people themselves were saying about the residential school, but it sort of fell on deaf ears mm-hmm. until until like twenty the two fifteen eh the two hundred and fifteen yeah, the first um, two hundred and fifteen. Yeah, like, and that's just real recent. So so I think society in general has a hard time 
with Native issues in, in hearing it or even admitting it, do you, can you offer any insight why that would be, why, why non-Native people would have such a hard time believing? Like maybe from something from your family, like why would they have such a hard time believing what Native people were saying? Um, I know for myself, I didn't hear about, and I, as I said, I grew up with Native friends, surrounded by three First Nation communities, drove through those communities to get to work or to go home, etc. And I didn't know the depth of the Canadian government. Um, like when I read that it's actually in Canadian legislation, it's written down, we are developing residential schools to kill the Indian. If the child can become white like then they'll live and they'll live as a good person because they're not they're savages now and that needs to be killed and when i read it right in it just it shocked me um that it was in our it's in our legislation as this is what the right thing to do is is to kill them off and it just I didn't, I, you know, I had this, and that I was probably in my 50s when I first started understanding residential schools and the horror that they were. So I think partly, uh, I think now, if non-Native people aren't aware, it's because they're blocking it somehow because it's so much in the news. But prior to that, it really wasn't because Native issues were not talked about in yeah. general yeah. society. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, yeah. And so I think now, though, everyone has to know that there was a genocide. And so if you're not doing something now to try to repair the harm, not that you're guilty. Like, I don't right. feel guilty that right. my ancestors did this. Um, but my ancestors were the original colonizers, right? They came over in the 1700s from England and Scotland. So they were the mm-hmm. original. And I don't feel guilt for that, but I do feel I have something to contribute. I have a responsibility, I guess. But it's a freeing responsibility, not a hardship for me. It's like, okay, okay we created it. We can undo it. Yeah, because I heard a lot of people talk like what you just said. They're saying, oh, they they won't take any responsibility. They don't want to be accountable for any of it. They they mm-hmm. just they just don't. They're just feeling guilty. So that's their avoidance behaviors, and they mm-hmm. they're putting burying their heads in the sand, you know. And what I'm what I'm hearing you say is it's not necessarily a guilt. It's it's just a plain sometimes. I'm going to, I don't know if it's the right word to say, like not knowing and ignorance, eh, about the actual yeah. history, about yeah. the, the whole situation. Like that's probably more the case than, than, than not. I'm not saying guilt isn't there in some segments yeah. of the population. There's some people may feel very guilty that their ancestors sort of did, did this to Native people. But I think maybe the issue is more broadly construed that it's just a lack of education, a lack of understanding. Uh, like you say, the fear of the unknown and not really knowing what's going on out there. 
and so therefore you you know they they don't get involved or they or it just isn't on their radar eh? it's just not something that they're that that yeah. even sort of makes them uh take notice eh? but yeah. when you find 215 bodies or gra- uh unmarked graves in a schoolyard now now that that becomes front page news and now that suddenly catches right the attention of mainstream populations in general yeah and the first march that we had after the 215 were found we held a public march and there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of non-native people who came out because they had no idea like it alarmed them it shocked them and it shocked them into action where I'm going to go out and I'm going to show support because um, I now believe. Um, I believe it now. And mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's like those children are still contributing to their communities because they woke up a lot of non-Native people who hadn't heard the stories or hadn't understood this, the severity of the stories that um, I, I believe there's a true opening now. And mm-hmm. I, I encourage us all to interact with each other and, okay, how can we make this world a better place? I'm an optimist, I guess, but it's more freeing and more enjoyable to hang out with everyone and not have prejudices, basically. <laughs> yeah, so, and, I, I, love and I think what it... <laughs> Yeah, and it and it spawned, I think, that kind of movement, right? Um, mm-hmm. Of that, it spawned the "Every Child Matters" movement. Yeah, and um, and and some would say, you know, it's it's all, you know, they picked that because they they copied off of you know Black Lives Matter as mm-hmm. as another marginalized group, right? So, mm-hmm. but. But whether 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 it was a copycat off the Black Lives Matter or whether it was just saying, well, it doesn't matter, it's every child that matters, right? It doesn't yeah. matter what yeah. race or what culture, but it's every child matters. Yeah. Um, I think that, that was a really strong movement that kind of woke up uh, a lot of people, like you said, in mainstream Canada, eh? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the more you listen the stories, the more understanding. Um, So even if you don't have the opportunity or you're still fearful to go to powwows, to go to um, any community events or stuff, then read some novels. Um, Grow your understanding that way. But it doesn't have to take much to grow understanding. And if we're all growing in our understanding of each other, then... I just find I'm so much happier person now that I'm actually doing, instead of going, oh, God, everything's impossible. It's always going to be this way. You know, it's it's depressing. So why not do something to make the world a better place? Yeah. And and um, you're reminding me of an initiative that was led by both Native and non-Native people working together, um, a project that was founded in the Chatham-Kent area um, with membership from the Wapo Island First Nation. And but that that group 
they came forward with the the pins. They they had made pins, um, yeah. and then they had feathers, and they it was every child matters, and so they moved that that message forward. And it was actually non-Native people taking the lead in a lot of off-reserve communities in the Chatham-Kent area. I remember that happening. Wow. I don't, I don't know if you, ever, if you heard that about that. No, I haven't. I'm going to have to look it up because Chatham is real close to us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It's close to the Sarnia area for sure. You're in Lambton County, and the county next door is, is Kent, mm-hmm. Chatham-Kent. And mm-hmm. yeah, and but that was that was the group had had come together between Walpole Island First Nation members and a Chatham Kent nonprofit and a gentleman there who kind of took it under his wing, and they did do a campaign and they did you know start bringing out these orange pins and letting the people make the pins and 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 talk about the initiatives and talk about um, you know the history and. It was just it was just a wonderful community based initiative and I and that's kind of what you were what you're referring to. If something like that could take root in Sarnia, that might change the general attitude that Sarnia Sarnia citizens have towards native people in their midst. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. But that again cool. was largely a non native person who did that. It wasn't a Native person. They had Native membership on their committee, but it was a non-Native person who, who championed that cause Wow! in, in Chatham-Kent. Yeah. Wow. I am going to have to look that up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now I'm, te- I'm teaching you, telling you something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love learning, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so... Do you? You're not the only non-native member on the on the Sarnia Lambton Friendship Center board. No, there, I am. there are how many non-native? Are you are you the only one? Yeah, in our bylaws, we state um, out of the board for the Friendship Center, only two positions can be either or either or non-native or native that lives on one a First Nation. Everyone else has to be urban indigenous. So right now I'm the uh, there isn't anyone that lives oh there is someone that lives on the reserve on the board. So that those two positions are taken with me and then this other person who is indigenous. Ah, there's bylaws there. So mm-hmm. so so why did they put that bylaw in? Was it to make sure that non native people wouldn't take over the the running of yeah. the board there, influence the board, or why, why do yeah. you think that was created like that? Um, I think for really good reason, because um, back when the Friendship Center was was born, there wasn't the understanding that there is now, and so, you know, us non-Native people can get in there, and we know how to do things, and we have all these degrees and stuff, and we're now going to tell you how to uh, learn your culture. Well, how ridiculous does that sound? <laughs> oh, that's actually, and I, I started off that way. Oh, I know how to do this, and because I, I ran an agency myself, so let me tell you. And and then I learned to shut up for a while, and then I learned 
where my I do have a skill set that does contribute, um, but it's not the only thing that contributes, right? So you have to hear and listen to everyone else and not come in with all the answers yourself. And that uh-huh. has been, I've loved learning that too, you know, because I'm unraveling my own. Um, um, I was brought up in the colonial system. That's what I understand, which is more black and white and good and bad and sinful and not sinful and all that sort of thing. And so I'm unpacking that myself still and just being who I am. So it's so you might even say there's another level of ignorance in terms of of consciousness, right? Of mm-hmm. of understanding what you say is your colonial history. So there's so so in some ways we could say there's a double ignorance, right? There's ignorance mm-hmm. of native people and what they're about and what they believe in and ignorance of native culture. But you're also saying, Mary Ellen, is that there's an ignorance of, uh, inside of me not understanding the full range and depth and pervasiveness that colonial attitudes and and practices have. Like you're yeah. saying, I'm unpacking that, I'm learning that. So there really yeah. isn't, like, so, so you could say there's an ignorance of non-Native people on their own part of not even understanding their own colonial roots. Right, exactly, yeah. And our wow. systems. Yeah, our systems and, and our institutions. You know, it's even the corporate ladder. You know, you, how many people do you harm to climb the corporate ladder? And that is seen as acceptable, you know. And then there's these new businesses. Just even the body shop was the first who said, you know what, those, all those beans I'm getting from the people and the indigenous people from South America, I'm not going to screw them over. We're going to sit down and negotiate a fair price. And they were the first company to do that. So it's just being, it's unpacking that we were all taught the corporate ladder is, it is best to be at the top. And it doesn't matter how you get to the top. The best is the top. And, And that's why we have homeless people and think negatively about them too. And uh, Mm -hmm. so we need, I think humanity needs a new system. And I keep coming, the more I learn about, I'm most familiar with Anishinaabe culture um, and the seven grandfathers, you know, like the love, respect, truth, honesty, courage, wisdom, like of course you want to organize your life around those, those seven teachings. And mm-hmm. so there's a real contribution that the people around the world who are indigenous to the land they were born on have so much to contribute to those of us who are, um, who came here, aren't of the mm-hmm. land. So, um, I appreciate even learning that too. Mm-hmm. So you see benefits from from being an ally to Native people, even though you yourself are not a Native person. There's definitely oh. been an improvement and a benefit for you. Oh, totally. There's a healing. Um, there's a camaraderie. Uh, there's an acceptance. 
you know, one one um, Indigenous person said to me, because I tend to put down the white structures I w- grew up in, and they said, look at our medicine wheel. You are part of our medicine wheel. There's white, black, yellow, and red, the major colors of our of our population. And there's mm-hmm. room for everyone. And so um, I don't feel weird being faced oftentimes I'm the only non-native person in the room but it doesn't freak me out because we're first and all human mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. and you know it's like when you make a new friend you you enjoy getting to know them well that's how my experience with the indigenous communities is I'm getting to know them and I'm having a riot I'm having a fun time learning things, understanding things about my myself, about community, about society. Um, and I feel empowered to make the changes with myself, with community, with society, where I feel I can. And how, what a awesome experience that is for any human being to feel that. Mm-hmm. So have they given you a native name? You know, some people would say, yeah. well, I know I'm I know I'm in when I've got my native name. Have you been given a native name for your work and have you been acknowledged in that way? Mickinac, Michigan. Indigenous. Which ah, is, and what does that it translates to snapping turtle. <laughs> um <laughs> because I um I, the elder who sat with me, uh, one of the questions they asked was, where do you feel most comfortable, most in touch with your spiritual side? And I said, either underwater or deep in the woods. And so, and then, you know, I've been a boss and I can be bossy and... <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> Snapping Turtle was the perfect name for me <laughs> <laughs> for learning about myself too, eh? But I love, yeah. I love my name. I love because uh, I do. I love the water. I love the earth, and it's captured in my name. Uh huh. That's true, eh? Wow. Mm-hmm. So, so while we were where we were chatting there. Mary Ellen, I it, I brought it. I brought up. I I did a little quick Google search here, so that I could give you a, some way to kind of go back and you like to learn. So the initiative was uh, started in Chanham, Kent, under uh, the Big Brothers Big Sisters organization oh, of Chatham, Kent. Yeah, okay. and they started it in 2021. Wow. Just shortly after the news, yeah, the news of the dis- tragic discovery of 215 children remains at the former Kamloops Indian Residential School in British Columbia. So they wanted to take this initiative so that they could act in a way that this would would put would begin to disrupt racism against Indigenous people in the Chatham Kent area. Um, they they wanted big brothers big sisters wanted indigenous communities to feel protected and included, so it was their way to create a safe space for critical dialogue and reflection about racism in our communities, and that's why they took on and spearheaded that initiative 
from their own perspective of Every Child Matters, but it was done from an, a non-Indigenous organization with a non-Indigenous lead taking it, but being informed, their actions were informed by Native people in their area and from the Kedjwanong community at Walpole Island. So I just wanted to put that out there for you, Mary Ellen, to let you know that there are other there are other allies. <laughs> There's not just you, so maybe sometimes you might feel alone there. And <laughs> but that there are a lot of allies coming forward and stepping forward, like those you said in the in the march, and yeah. certainly this example that was um, you know being led by the Big Brothers and Big Sisters organization of Chatham-Kent. So I think there is some benefit in being an ally to Native people, even when you yourself are not uh, a Native person. Um, I think both sides win. I think it's a win-win. And it's certainly been a pleasure talking to you and getting your perspective today um, on my show, I want to thank you for coming on and, and having this discussion with me. I know it's not an easy one, but I think you handled it with grace and insight oh. and gave us some insight for sure, eh? Oh, thank so you. So may the world become a better place. Yeah. <laughs> By tomorrow. people like you. <laughs> and You want it tomorrow. <laughs> I certainly think we're on our way, aren't we, in, yeah, in some ways? I'm I'm thankful, Mary Ellen, for for you being that non-native voice and advocate on behalf of native people. Um, you know, my people. My I call them my people. I, but I guess you know, it's really all of our peoples, right? Together, yeah. with, when you look yeah. at it from the human race. Yes, it is. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, me. So thank you, you for. <laughs> Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. This has been a great discussion. And so I think our readers will be informed again from another perspective um, today. And we'll see you. I'll be seeing you at, at, at board meetings. My work's not done with Sarnia Native Lampton Friendship Center. So nope, I'll be not. around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll let you go for now, Mary Ellen, and we'll just leave. Leave leave it at that. Thank you for joining okay. me today. Thank you, okay. Diane. Bye bye. You're welcome. Hear all of our previously aired broadcasts of News for the Soul online at newsforthesoul.com. Now let's get back to the show. Previously aired broadcasts of News for the Soul online at newsforthesoul.com. Now let's get back to the show. (laughs) 